from a circularity point of view, from a from a regenerative design point of view. They've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. How does that infiltrate our thinking as Australian designers? Welcome to Play in Conversations, the podcast where we delve into the world of design and explore the endless opportunities that await designers and brands. I'm Simon Martin, Head of Content Strategy at Play and Co. And joining me are Karen and Brendan Hutchison, the founders of Play and Co. Together, we'll be your hosts as we embark on insightful design conversations that inspire and inform. Brandon is an important champion of Australian design. He has spent the past 25 years passionately advocating for design's value to improve our social, economic, cultural and environmental quality of life. He is a qualified industrial designer and currently an adjunct professor of industrial design at both the University of Canberra and the University of New South Wales. Brandon became the first Australian to serve as president of the World Design Organization from 2013 to 2015 and still serves as a senator for the WDO today. In spite of all the achievements and accolades, Brandon is a cool, calm and charismatic long-haired surfer from Bondi, the utopian embodiment of an Australian design professional. We hope you enjoy the show. Brandon, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. You studied mechanical engineering at the University of Newcastle, where you later graduated with a bachelor's in industrial design. You now hold a PhD in environmental design. And you're very accomplished in so many ways, as Brendan mentioned in the intro. Let's back up a little bit. And can you tell us sort of where your foundation is, like how you found yourself in mechanical engineering and then industrial design? Was it sort of an apex moment when you were in secondary school where you just decided you liked tinkering with things and you wanted to figure them out and create them create them yourself? Uh, what what what's the like real DNA behind your approach to design today? Um, well, firstly, thanks Simon, Brendan, Karen for having me on the show. It's a, it's a real honour to to come and talk to you guys. Um, to answer that question, I I think I kind of zoom all the way back to me being a little kid. I, I grew up on a farm, um, and like like many industrial designers that that I've, I've I know in in you know in my own career. Um, that they all have this this kind of um, desire to pull things apart, and and I I've always like as far back as I can remember, um, that's what kept me going as a as a kid. You know, give me a screwdriver and a hammer and just get me to take something apart. Uh, that curiosity of actually understanding the bits and pieces of a product. Um, my mum tells me a story, um, I, was lit- I mean, I can't remember it, but she said I was pretty much five years old and she'd bought a brand new um, Swiss sewing machine. It was her pride and joy. And um, she left me alone uh, unattended for sort of half the day and I had literally dismantled her entire sewing machine, <laughs> oh. laid out all the parts in a beautiful, you know, on a table with all the little screws all lined up. And she walked in and, and flipped out. <laughs> I turned around as this little kid and said, don't worry, mum, I'll, I'll put it all back together. And as the story goes, I actually did put it all back together, but it never worked again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that that inbuilt curiosity as a, as a kid to, to really understand, you know, just, just how things are put together and, and, and that, that deep um, 
sort of curiosity of, of how the world actually works as well, um, which led me to, you know, I, I, it was either going to be architecture, um, it was either going to be something to do with 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 engineering, and um, as it turns out, I you know I graduated from high school, and I just thought, oh, mechanical engineering that sounds like pretty much as close to what what I could do. I didn't even know that there was a thing called industrial design. Um, you know, this is back in 1994, 93, 94. Um, ended up going to the University of Newcastle. You know, did did mechanical engineering, and it was like, yeah. It's all right. It's you know, it's a lot of maths, a lot of science, a lot of physics, a lot of chemistry, but it wasn't that that sort of creative bit that was yearning as well. And I, you know, another thing that I loved doing as a kid is just drawing. I loved I loved drawing. I you know, for me, being bored was having a piece of paper and a pen and just being in my own world and, and just sketching. So there wasn't there wasn't that element of mechanical that that engineering that that allowed me to to explore that creativity and it's only when i met um another student over a beer at the university bar it's like what are you doing it's like oh, i do this i'm doing you know industrial design and i like, tell me more that sounds awesome um and when i started to kind of figure out oh my god that's that's what i want to do that's exactly what i want to do and uh and then ended up switching over it's a four-year degree and i absolutely absolutely loved every single second of it um i'll never forget you know day one um in our class the first lecture that we had um wonderful man who's still my mentor to this day graham paver um you know got up there and said you know, welcome to the world of industrial design. Right from this moment, you're actually going to start seeing the world differently. Um, and 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 I did. I remember just going, "Wow, you know, this is such a beautiful way of of trying to understand how the world works. Not only from a product perspective, but but from a, a behavioural perspective. You know, perspective from um, just 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 being observant around how people interact with with things around them, um, and uh, and haven't haven't really turned back. Um, and it was only much later in my career that I just I had this this desire to um, to sort of delve deeper, and and that led me to do a PhD um, in, uh, in in environmental design at the University of Canberra. Um, and uh, for anyone who's done a PhD, I'm sure they'll, they'll understand what I'm trying to say. It's like you you end up knowing more about one thing than anyone in the world that no one in the world actually cares about. <laughs> <laughs> and my, and, uh, and I, I, I love that journey because I literally did. I delved so deep. It took me seven years. I was doing it part-time um, while, you know, running Good Design Australia and being on the board of the World Design Organisation and having a, a family and uh, juggling a whole bunch of balls. But the, the PhD bit is something that I, I actually, I love, I just loved it. It, it. It's an element of your brain that just sits there and tinkers away. And you, you literally, you know, you, you find yourself lying awake at three in the morning thinking, oh, it could be this or it could be that. And um, so I love that. And, and it, you know, I think it also just gave me such a, an incredible perspective on on the world of design as well um sort of looking at it from an engineering perspective from an industrial design perspective and then sort of from a, a sustainability perspective as well that that um phd i think i read was in philosophy or psychology right it was doctor philosophy uh wow so <laughs> not not to unpack it too much but what what do you 
what is that what does that look like philosophy and environmental design if you were to just give it a a, a brief description um we'll sit back for the next two and a half hours while i give you my <laughs> <laughs> all right scratch that one <laughs> <laughs> look what i what i ended up you know doing um is essentially like the core um subject area of my phd was was trying to understand how do you how do you actually evaluate good design so no surprise very much linked to what i what i was doing in my day-to-day -day life right but um really unpacking the the evaluation process of um how do you delve into a product uh, what are the metrics that you then can apply to understand what i'm looking at here is 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 good design from a functional point of view uh, from a materials point of view from an aesthetic point of view from a safety point of view um so i i literally just dived you know head first into this world of of, of understanding um, design from a, from a, from an evaluation perspective, and it was absolutely deliberately aligned to what I was doing in my day to day mm -hmm. life and running the awards. So, yeah, there's a philosophical element to it. Um, I, I guess that's it, it and it, it fell within the uh, the faculty of the built environment. So uh, mm -hmm. at the University of Canberra. So at the time that that then you know they 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 um, named that a a PhD in, in environmental design, which you know was uh, was nice because this is sort of a, a, a hell of a long time ago before sustainability was such a such a a, a worthy subject of talking about you know as as it is today. So, so, Brandon, what, what, um, it, now that I know that about your PhD, you know, uh, Dieter Rams's 10 principles for good design is usually what a lot of people think about when they think about that. And clearly you went way past that in your studies. So what, how would you say that somebody like Dieter Rams's philosophy, uh, would compare or contrast to what what you took a deep dive down into. Were you also looking at sustainability factors um, in the modern era, or, or were you also harking back to your mechanical engineering times to understand better the functionality and supply chain implications of what goes into a product? What, without divulging too much into detail, like what, how, how, what did that look like? Yeah, and and you know, Dita, um, I actually have a signed copy of his uh, of his ten principles of good design. That was absolutely um, you know an area that I looked very very deeply in and at. And you think about when he when he came up with those ten principles, you know, it was such a long time ago, and they're still relevant. They are still relevant today. My favourite one is number ten. <laughs> good design is as little design as possible. I really really love that. Um, but I, I I sort of try to look at it. In, in from different perspectives, and one was through this lens of of a design award program, right? And and again, it was deliberately relevant to what I was doing here and in, in running the, the the good design awards. Um, but also in that context of imagine if you're a developing country, and um, uh, design is not as developed as it would be, you know, for example, in the US or Australia, let's say it's a, it's a, it's a developing country, they don't actually have the maturity of design uh, that we, we have. How would they set up a design award program and how would they have 
an evaluation process that would be relevant to them, right? So really kind of almost drilling right back down to, to the basics um, and, and looking at things like, like functionality, uh, form, a lot of the things that Dita spoke about. But, but perhaps I, I think the thing that was interesting for me is trying to rank the priority of, of importance within, within those criteria where, you know, it's like they're not all equal. Um, and, and Brendan, you've, you've been on the jury of our end Good Design Awards and, um, and and a lot of that research in my PhD is filtered through, again, quite... I was going to... Oh, sorry to cut you off, but I was going to say this sounds very familiar and I'm glad that we unpacked on the PhD a bit because I think that's building on some really rich discussion about good design and um, so we, we've also been looking into this concept of return on design investment and, and published some reports and I think metrics out the tail end of a produced uh, design exercise are getting more interesting, more advanced. But um, uh, I really appreciate and see the, I really believe in the three are we allowed to say what those three criteria are for judging? Oh yeah, is it good design? And, and that's kind of a, a nebulous definition that that's the reason you hire jurors. Is it, does, is it innovative and, and does it deliver impact? I think they're great pillars for, for an awards program like the Good Design Australia ones. We'd like to take a moment to remind you that Play and Conversations is brought to you by Play and Co. If you want to explore more about design opportunities, discover new insights, or connect with Play and Co for a design project, be sure to visit playandco.com. A hundred percent. And and you know, coming back to that um, that order of, of 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 priority, right? I thought that was really important because what I what I also found is and again, looking at, I researched every single design award program in the world, and there was no, it was almost no checkpoint. I'm saying, you know, this is a beautiful object from an aesthetic yeah. point of view. It's absolutely stunning, but it doesn't work. <laughs> right. So, so kind of creating that order of importance. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. Um, luckily, it does work, but. Um, you know, you, you've got to actually start setting game. And, and if you look at if you look at that, I guess the most important thing, it's got to do what it says on the box, right? Functionality, is, it, it doesn't matter how innovative a product is. It doesn't matter how beautiful it looks. It doesn't matter what materials it's made from. If it doesn't work, it's it, it's not good design. It's going to mm. end up in a it's going to be thrown away. It's going to end up in landfill, right? So, so sorry, you go. No, and I think that's what I've, um, being on the panel for the past two years, really appreciated about the Good Design Awards now that it's it's all, um, the dust is settling after the, the final judging round this year. There's, there's more depth in these awards than I've experienced from the outside looking in. Quite often I look at uh, other award programs around the world and and you you see awards kind of um thrown out there without really knowing um how or why that that product even made it to the final round um because you 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 have experience and and that um that's also created potentially a bit of skepticism in the industry there are designers who say we just won't apply for design awards because we think they're a load of shit yeah. But I think that um, what I've seen with the Good Design Awards, at least, it's been a very rigorous. Uh, people say, you know, hell, it must be fun, but it's a pretty rigorous debate. We we have some serious discussions and challenges there, and it's all for the sake of 
um, elevating or rewarding products that we real products, services, environments, initiatives that we believe uh, are exemplary of genuine value added good design. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and you're spot on. And you know, just just coming back to the criteria, um, you know, we we the very first question we ask of the applicants into into the awards program we ask our judges to evaluate is is just that simple question and it's not that simple is it good design mm-hmm. and you then unpack that and saying well you know does it does it do the job it was designed to do um is it aesthetic um you know uh, you know d- does it does it have the required form factor um is it made from the appropriate materials um you know is it long lasting is it is it is it a high quality product all those things that you would just you know you'd bubble up and say yes i'm confident that it, it answers the question yes this is good design and if it doesn't pass if it doesn't pass that very first test, we, we don't care how innovative it is and we don't care about the impact it makes on the world. Um, so it actually has to jump over that first hoop to say, yep, gets the tick for good design. And only then do we then delve in and say, okay, now let's have a look at how innovative this thing is. Um, have they done something here that's gonna disrupt an industry? Um, have they have they used a manufacturing process that has never been used before? Um, you know, th- have these guys really shifted the dial in, 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 in the sector that they have designed this product or service for? Um, and then we kind of go, right, tick for innovation. And then the third one is is impact. And if you imagine a triangle, it's kind of one builds on the other. And at the very, very tip of that triangle, we then go, right, we know it's good design, we know it's innovative, but what impact is it actually gonna make on, on our lives as 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 users of this of this design? What commercial impact is it gonna have on on the actual business, on the client? Are they gonna, you know, are they gonna make money from it? And that's an important factor as well. And that comes back to your return on, on design investment, Brendan. Um, and and also, you know, much more importantly now, what what environmental impact is it gonna have? You know, it could be the most innovative thing in the world, but if it's if it's literally gonna end up in landfill, well then you have to question question it from an impact point of view. So it it may appear that three criteria seems quite simple, but there's a lot of detail and and depth that sits underneath each of those. And when you then throw that into the environment of a of of, of a jury um, and challenge them to go, and you've been there, you've 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 experienced it, saying, you know, we the what the projects that really float all the way to the top um, are those ones that you can point to and say, this is gonna have a significant, profound impact on our lives, um, on our planet from a sustainability point of view, um, on our day-to-day lives as, as human beings, um, and a long-lasting impact as well. And sometimes that's actually really difficult to measure, right? Because the product might just be launched onto the market. So you have to go, the, the, the potential that this thing has to create positive impact is, is X, Y, and Z. So it's a fascinating, conversation it's my favorite you know time of the year when you bring these incredible experts into a room um and and the other aspect as well as the diversity so it's not just industrial designers we we put architects in there digital designers service designers design strategists um people from the social impact space uh engineers who kind of look at things from a very kind of you know hardcore engineering perspective and um so it 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 is rigorous and we like to think that you know those projects that end up 
um, winning an award, you know, can rightfully say that they are they're the best in the business. And and because it's an international award as well, um, you know, up there with the best in the world. Are you still on the World Design, the WDO, World Design Organization? Yes. Okay. <laughs> When you uh, when you become president of that organisation after your term, they they give you this wonderful title as senator. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of politicians quite quite uh, uh, confused by that title. I think, why well, you're a senator? I'm like, no, not a political one. <laughs> uh, so I'm very much involved um, as a senator. Uh, there's a there's a whole bunch of amazing past presidents who are senators that uh, we we meet quite regularly and. Uh, the, the next General Assembly, um, every two years they have this incredible General Assembly. Um, the next one's in Tokyo in, in October, where all the, the member bodies from around the world get together and it's just a, it's a beautiful event. So um, very much involved. And, and you're um, particularly in, um, focused on the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. What, what can you say, um, you know, on episode one, we had John Gersakis, who is a sustainable, you know, mastermind. We had some interesting perspectives from him on, you know, design for repairability. Um, he, and one of, one of the best lines that a lot of our listeners quoted on LinkedIn and, and other social media platforms is he said, uh, there's a lot of cheerleaders in sustainable design, but not enough athletes. What's your perspective on where things are going in terms of that sustainable route from this global perspective that you've been fortunate to see in this position? It's 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 a really I, I kind of call it a designer's dilemma, you know, because our job as industrial designers particularly is to design products that are going to appeal to a consumer that they end up going to buy. And then we'll design another product and another version of that product and another version of that product. And, um, you know, we're, we're feeding into this whole consumer space to just buy more, buy the newest, buy the latest, greatest. But on the other hand, we also have, I think, uh, as, as, as any designer has, this sort of this conscious of saying, how do we how do we actually design a better world? How do we design a world that's going to be more sustainable? How do we push forward the sustainability message? Um, and there's always this tension between the, the two, right? If I if I have to zoom back to 30 odd years ago when I was at university, sustainability was just it was just like it was not it was it wasn't even a thing. It was like oh yeah, it's one of the things you should look at, but it's not that important. Versus where we are today. Um, I think that the narrative has shifted dramatically, right? And 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 um, where where designers were kind of pushing, oh, you should look at sustainable materials. Now I think it's clients saying, can you show me how I can actually make this product more sustainable? So it's much more of a balanced conversation that's happening. I think that's a really, really, really good thing. Um, and we should be doing more of it. We should. As designers, we should almost be demanding that our clients look at sustainability much more seriously, and hopefully that brings those two ends of those that that tension a little bit closer to kind of go. Actually, it's not it's it's not such a diverse thing now to suggest that um, you know that 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 your client look at sustainability because there's there's also the commercial aspect as well. Look, we're going to produce a product for you that's going to be more sustainable, but it's actually going to be more efficient. From a materials point of view, it's it's actually going to be cost less to produce. It's in that going to you know it's going to appeal to a customer base, 
um, in, a, in a much better way as well. And it's going to end up making you more money and do less harm for the planet. So I, I absolutely think that, um, that that narrative has shifted, but we've still got a hell of a long way to go. There's still... Um, there's still a lot of crap, right, that's being produced. Mm. And um, I hate I hate saying this term, but, it, you know, sometimes I think it's valuable to to put something like this out there. Um, that I've heard people say, industrial designers, oh, yeah, you know, you guys, you guys are called landfill designers. That's what you do. <laughs> You're designing landfill. And if we have to be honest with ourselves, like, you know, a lot of the stuff we design ends up in in a rubbish tip, right? So how do we change that? How do we change that that um, that, that that perspective? And and, um, and and I think the only way to do it is is through through good design. John Kostakis is an absolute rock star. I've had so many amazing conversations with him, and you know, the idea that sustainable design is actually good design. We can't. It, it shouldn't be. Oh, you do sustainable design here. <laughs> And then you you sort of practice good design here and the two are separate. They should actually be one of the same thing. And if you look at how that manifests in a product, um, if you're buying a product that's been beautifully designed, it's been professionally designed, it's been made from high quality materials, well, it's gonna last you long, it's gonna last a lot longer. You, you, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna hold on to it for a lot longer um, and hopefully, you know, prevent um, that product from going into into landfill um, for for a longer period of time. If it's designed with repairability and if it's designed with um, circularity in, in in place, well then that's even better. And that's where we need to really get to is is pushing clients to say, there's this thing called a circular economy. Um, how do you how do we how do we stretch that innovation discussion um, to make sure that you're designing something that is that is going to be circular that is not going to end up in 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 landfill and and can be reused repackaged repurposed um, that's that's where we need to get to and I think we've got a hell of a long way way to go still sustainability has been a criteria from the outset both from our side and from the client side they're like we need to get ahead of this a lot of these companies now uh, we're dealing with leadership teams that have pretty aggressive esg targets for 2030 they're accountable to delivering on those but they got no idea on how to deliver on those they they just say we produce this amount of plastic we we waste this much or this is our carbon footprint how do we lean out our product portfolio but still maintain market share and market value and um that's that that's my feeling that's my read on a lot of a lot of the companies that are really pushing forward with sustainability and, and weaving it into part as a mainstream piece of their business model yeah and also how design can change behavior, I think, in that sense, especially around sustainability. Because I think like to Brendan's point of view, people in the past or maybe their assumptions of sustainability is that it kind of is ugly a little bit or it's not seen as, you know, uh, it's an afterthought kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but I think as as designers, it's our job to instill that from the beginning and make it as part of the process and and a beautiful, it can be beautiful and a beautiful product that people know um, and want to change their their mindset and set and perception of what and, what is good design. And Karen, I think you know you said there. Um, it, it's not just the product, right? It's the entire process. It's the mm. entire yeah. process. And, yeah. and I think that's where design is getting into a really interesting space is that you're not hiring a designer to come in and just design one little product. 
they're sort of going, you know, let's pause for a minute and zoom out and actually let's look at your entire product range. Let's look at your supply chain. Let's look at the service offering, the aftermarket service offering that you've got, um, your customer service support. Um, let's zoom out a little bit more and look at the entire business model, right? That's where designers are really, I think, getting getting stuck in and making that real impact by changing the way that companies think about design. It's like, oh, we're not just going to hire you to design you know, next season's uh, range of new products. We're actually getting you to get in under the bonnet and look at our entire business. And that's, that's, a, that's a different way of thinking about how traditional, particularly industrial designers, have been positioned because it's just, well, just design a product. Now it's re- help me redesign my entire business. Um, and, 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 you know, if you look at that for a minute, that's where the real change will come from because I think a lot of these businesses are still stuck in the old way of doing things mm-hmm. going, well, I'm just going to try and make my products more sustainable. Whereas, you know, my entire supply chain is unsustainable or the product's great, but the packaging is, is, is awful. And I see a lot of that as well. But, mm so much um, so much waste in that in that packaging space where you buy a product <laughs> the product in itself can actually has got some sustainability credentials um, but the packaging is a whole bunch of styrofoam and plastic that ends up in a bin right because <laughs> somebody yeah. else did that and they didn't actually have this holistic view of, of the design process I, one of the other takeaways I had from the good design awards is that we are we are moving away from singular disciplines managing a project to interdisciplinary design and that's what i love about the good design awards actually is that you have jurors from all sorts of different fields but to your point about elevating up from the product and then thinking about what are the attributes this product needs to communicate to a potential buyer or to an audience you know before they've even bought it um, media channels have changed. We talk a lot about how products need to communicate very quickly and effectively on social channels, um, what they do. So I think product designers are needing and graphic designers and UX designers are need to, needing to think beyond their own little bubble and more about how that serves the greater uh, designed experience. And I think that's only a good thing. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So it's clear that Australia has good taste, um, especially when it comes to design. Have you noticed a singular DNA thread of, you know, where that might come from and why? Yeah, Simon, I, I don't know how many times I've, I've been asked this question and I, I always struggle to answer it, you know, because um, I, I think from a design perspective, I agree with you. We, we've got some of the best designers, some of the best architects in the world for such a small population, for such a small market, um, th- th- there must be something in the water here. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Um, I don't think it's in the water. I think it's in the beer. <laughs> <laughs> if, I had to, if I had to try and sort of put my finger on it, I, I think, you know, the, the culture here in Australia is, is quite relaxed. Um, it's incredibly diverse. Um, the number of times I've been asked by media to go describe to me what Australian design is and I just struggle and I think there's something in the fact that no one can actually point to it and say well it's, it, that's what it is or you know if you compare for example Italian design you there's so much there to kind of draw on from 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 their sort of design language it's very um, uh, German designs very German design you know there's there's quite quite a 
uh, a specific sort of way of describing different countries when it comes to design. But for Australia, I think it's just maybe that's beauty is that we can't actually put our finger on it and say that's that's Australian design. The other way of looking at it is that um, you know we've. I, I believe that um, one of the beautiful things about Australia is that we've got this deep history with our Indigenous culture and our First Nations people who were the first designers in the world 65,000 years ago, you know. And um, if we, I think there's so much potential to tap into that as we sort of chart the, the, the next, you know, 100 years of Australian design to go, how do we actually learn from our Indigenous First Nations designers, uh, not only from a sort of traditional design point of view, but from a circularity point of view, from a from a regenerative design point of view. They've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. How does that infiltrate our thinking as Australian designers? Um, how do we proudly tap into that um, when we talk about sustainability, when we talk about um, design in general? Um, is, there a, is there a design aesthetic that can thread through Australian design, that taps into that rich creativity, um, that deep respect of country. Um, that's they're also, yeah, they're also amazing storytellers. Like, so I think when you look at, for even at their sort of their beautiful dot paintings and their textile design that's coming out of like um, the Northern Territory and it's incredible storytelling. No, I, I totally, totally agree. And I mean, coming back to your point, Simon, it, you know, I think I think one of the things that, that Australian designers are really good at is um, because probably we don't have this identity that we, we're sort of being boxed into, that we're a lot more expressive. We're kind of a, probably a lot more, um, we have a high appetite for risk where it comes to designing stuff. So it's kind of, you know, um, not as traditional. <laughs> and I think the other aspect is that, you know, particularly from my point of view and a lot of the industrial designers I speak to is that they're not just, you know, you're an industrial designer who's going to work on um, one little aspect of a product. Um, a lot of industrial designers in the consultancy game kind of, they do everything. They do the engineering, they do the material selection, they do CAD renderings, they they do the conceptual design work. They, they kind of a jack of all trade. And I, I sort of see that as contrast by a lot of European designers working in bigger firms go, look, you know, well, I'm only working on little, one little aspect of, of a design project rather than being across the whole thing. Um, but it's, I think it's an ongoing thing. And, and you know, one of the things that I, I saw during my term in the World Design Organization is just this, almost this helicopter view of what the world of design looks like from all different parts of the world. And I think it's really, really interesting and challenging at the same time to kind of go, you know, that's American design, you know, you pigeonhole it, or or that's Italian design, or that's German design. I think I think because we live in such a global world and and companies are producing products for anyone in the world, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly which is which. Um, but I come back to Australia and I think I think we've got a really interesting, unique and a beautiful opportunity to to start to chart what the next, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years for Australian design looks like and and harnessing and leveraging this beautiful, rich culture that we've got here in this country and, and making sure that that influences uh, what Australian design is going forward. I totally felt my first job out of 
um, university abroad was in Taiwan for a small European startup. And I definitely felt what you you said at the start of that, where Dutch designers came with a certain set of preconceived rules that they had to adhere to because they were Dutch or European or German. And I, I kind of, I looked at things a little bit differently. And, um, I think the analogy at the time was, uh, just surf it like Brendan. I think that one of the bosses said, you know, through some of the projects, cause we were dealing with a ton of projects. And if you're trying to apply a formula to all of those projects, you're going to fall over, right? If you're too rigid in your process, you're going to, you're going to have a meltdown. So I agree with that. Um, some other things about Australian design, I think we're all this, this spirit of indigenous Australia has rubbed off on us incredibly, even first, second, third generation Australians in terms of this spirit of being nomadic people. Um, it's very common for Australians straight out of high school to take a gap year and travel the world. And that is like not common anywhere else in the world. And so I think there's just this openness to go out and explore uh, the corners of the world a little bit like Anthony Bourdain, eat spiders in Vietnam and do all sorts of crazy stuff for a year or two. Uh, so I think that helps. And um, we love a good story. So storytelling is one thing, but being able to regurgitate it at the pub and make it funny and make it transcend more, more culture. Anim more animated. <laughs> I think that that is definitely the domain of our Indigenous um, um, brethren, but it's also it's something that's really become part of contemporary Australia, right? So the way that we sell ideas is through storytelling. The way that we disarm tense conversations is through a joke or a quip on the fly, and we can get away with it. I, I think my my experience with doing business with Americans um, is that once upon a time when Karen and I set up in Hollywood uh, back in 2015, our initial experience was that everyone was hustling. And I've said this before, everyone hustles. So you go to a cocktail event, someone's trying to sell me something. Someone's trying to figure out how much money I have to spend on X, Y, and Z. And the success that we've had is just, not trying to sell anyone anything. Actually, the moment that you can talk to someone and re they realize that you're not selling them anything is the moment I feel we can sell them everything. Yes. So, <laughs> um, and it builds on this idea of storytelling. And I totally agree. I think one of the, one of the true powers, if you like, that designers have is this ability to imagine something that has not yet been created. Mm -hmm. And when we imagine it, whether it be a product or a service or a space or an environment or a project, we imagine something better than what currently is. It's, you know, I don't think there's any desire in the world that would imagine something worse, right? So we, we paint a picture of what better looks like, what good looks like. And our, our, our ability to not only describe what that what that better outcome is, whether we do it verbally, whether we do it through drawings, whether we do it through animations, or the tools that we have at our disposal, that is an incredibly powerful tool to have because for the non-designers in the world, um, they may be able to imagine a better outcome, but they can't actually articulate it. They can't draw it. They can't show, like, you know, let me quickly draw it for you and then show you what it looks like. 
That to me is the most incredible thing that designers can do. And in the world that we're living in today, we need that. We need to be able to imagine what good looks like, imagine what a better outcome looks like, and then show our business leaders, um, our people within government to say, this is a better, this is where we are today, but this Mm -hmm. is what a better future looks like. And then also have the tools to not only communicate that, but design our way towards it. So for me, that's the that's the reason I get out of bed in the mornings, right? Is to kind of go, we we have the superpower. And it comes all the way back to the comment I made about my lecturer saying, from today, you're going to see the world differently. And I, I'm reminded of that every single day is the, the power that we have, almost the responsibility that we have as designers is to continually push this better future, this idea of designing a better world and then showing people that it's possible. Um, I love that. And I think that's that kind of really, that's the area that I'm most, most passionate about. I just wanted to, to throw that in. From a, from a global view, uh, if, if there's any, you know, maybe somebody that's in high school right now that's a little uncertain about the future, or maybe you're um, in industrial design, you're 20 years deep into your career and you're just stuck in a creative rut, what, what sort of advice based on the vantage point that you've had would you give to anybody, whether again, it's a high schooler or somebody stuck in a creative rut in terms of what's on the horizon? Like where, where, where can you find inspiration and um, where do you seek inspiration and, and could that even be a motivator for them to seek motivation? Yeah. Um, I have I have two two small kids. I mean, they they just hit the teenage years now. Um, going to school, I'm con- constantly reminded from both of them that they find it absolutely dead boring. Um, <laughs> and I think you know that opens up a whole conversation around our education system. But um, the, the, to me, you know, whether you're a, a young a young school student, a university student studying design, uh, or someone who's out there practicing design. Um, the most important thing is make sure that you're solving a meaningful problem, right? And 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 that might seem quite straightforward in the first sort of interpretation of it, but focusing on the word meaningful, because everyone can solve a problem, <laughs> but you might be creating a whole bunch of other problems by solving that problem. If you can really hone in on how do I solve a meaningful problem for someone, and that could be something as simple as just making um, someone in an aged care facility just live a better quality of life because you've designed um, you know, a walking frame for them that's just going to improve their life. That's, that's a good problem. To, that's a meaningful problem to solve. Um, and, and so I, I, I keep on really emphasising this word meaningful, like make, do something that's actually going to make a meaningful difference to someone's life. And if you can then, if you can really hone in on that and understand that problem in the deepest, most empathetic level possible, you'll come up with a great design. You'll come up with something that's that's hopefully you can build a business around or you can build a product around it and you can generate income from, right? But, but start at that fundamental level of how do I solve a meaningful problem for someone? Um, and I think that that to me, you know, the, the projects that we see coming through the awards, you can really drill down and go, yep, 
they've actually understood the brief so well that they are, this project is going to make a meaningful difference to someone's life. That's great design. If you want to continue the conversation, share your thoughts, or suggest topics for future episodes, be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at PlanCo or visit planco.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, keep playing, keep designing, and keep pushing the boundaries of what's next. This is Play in Conversations, signing off.